thank you for that introduction, uh, Brad. I'm just going to move my prop a little bit here. I'm going to use that a little bit later. Um, we have been talking about prayer. And last week, does anyone remember the sermon title? None of you listened. I knew it. <laughs> submission. Submission. All you remember is the UFC picture. Isn't that right? Of Conor McGregor getting choked up there. So, But that's what, not what the sermon was about. We spoke about submission because... The act of prayer, essentially prayer, is submitting our will to the will of God. And that's why we pray. If you don't have much of a prayer life going on, or if you don't pray as a Christian, it may be because you don't really want to submit your will to the will of God. You don't really believe that His will is better for you than your own will and your own desires. I know that's a little bit confronting, but that's really, why would you pray if you don't want to do what God wants you to do? That wouldn't make sense. But you would pray if you want to understand his heart, know his will, and understand how that affects us. So this is what this series has been about. And we spoke a bit about last week also, how do you reclaim a daily prayer habit? How do you get your prayer habit back and that habitual nature of just coming to God every single day? And we touched on what it means to have a space for prayer in your calendar, what it means to have a spot so to have a favorite place where you go and spend time with God, to have scripture in the Bible. We're going to hear about that a little bit next week from Pastor Andrew in your prayer time. And also the, the whole act of speaking and listening and obeying is so critical to our prayer lives. But prayer is a challenge. Who finds prayer a bit of a challenge? Because I find it a bit of a challenge. I mean, who out there right now in this congregation is just smashing it at prayer? Just, just nailing your prayer life. You know, probably not really anyone. Like, you're probably doing okay, but I doubt any of you are a contemplative prayer master by this point in your life. Like me, you probably struggle every day to get to prayer, to get to the place of prayer. And then sometimes even when I'm in prayer, the soccer highlights from last night are just sitting there. So I have this horrible distraction because the English Premier League happens during the night when I'm asleep. And then I wake up in the morning and all the highlights are just waiting for me to watch. But I want to spend time with my Father in heaven, but they're just there and I can watch them. They're only three-minute highlights, but then it's three minutes per game. And then if I watch three minutes highlights of every game, there goes my prayer time and the kids are up and it's gone. So it's a great challenge, great challenge to pray. And maybe you're not even sure how to pray. Maybe you're a bit out of practice of prayer. Maybe your prayer life was awesome in 2019 and then a worldwide global pandemic happened and it kind of wrecked things a little bit for you and you're returning back to prayer. Or maybe you're not really sure how to pray or what to pray. Maybe you just pray the kind of average Aussie modern prayer that kind of goes something like this. Uh, yeah, God, I'm sitting here. Um, hey, big fella, mate. Uh, yeah, so my father in heaven, uh, I'm, you know, I'm watching this thing on eBay, God, it'd just be great if I could get it. It'd be great if I could win that. And, you know, you know the missus and, and those little grommets, God, just, you know, make them safe and make them grow up. And please, I hope they follow you. And uh, what's the next bit? Uh, uh, daily bread. Give, give us something about daily bread. That, you know, that house on the beach, God, I would love that. That acreage down the peninsula, God, just, just that daily bread would be the bread, you know, that I need, God. And, you know, and, and, and forgive all those people who have done bad things against me. That's fine. Let's move on. Is that, is that what your prayer life is like? Some kind of Aussie type 
get stuff prayer type life. I mean, why do we care about prayer anyway? If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus sitting here this morning, then you probably care a little bit about prayer. I mean, prayer is a powerful thing. We know that. But uh, are you bothered to pray? Or do you get bothered when you don't pray? Do you often ask the question, I ask this a lot, how can I fit prayer in? I came into 2022 and I was really asking God, how do I fit this in? How do I fit this in better? How do I make more space for you? So much to do. So much responsibility, but so many distractions. You know, we may be the most distracted generation in all of human history. Right here on our iPhones, I'm going to wave this a bit at you. This if you've got a phone this morning, pull your phone out for me, okay? Wave it at me. Who's got a phone? Okay, probably all of us have a phone, right? This is a phenomenal tool, okay? I'm not trying to take you back to the Middle Ages to be some monk living uh, in the desert somewhere without a phone. Okay, I want you to have your phone. I've got a phone. It's okay. This is a phenomenal tool. But this is not a great friend to our prayer lives. Okay, this is not your, your, your Nintendo, your PC, your Netflix, your accounts. How many accounts do you have? You think of streaming sports accounts. You think of betting accounts. You think of clothes you know, purchasing accounts, you think of all, you probably have 50 accounts to different shops and different services and all, let alone your free accounts, like your social media accounts and whatever. And where are all of those accounts and all of those things? They're right here in the palm of your hand. This is the doorway to every distraction known to man. Now, I know this phone isn't going to hurt my prayer life, but if you can understand the example I'm trying to make this morning, we're distracted. There's a lot of things that are trying to distract us. And the main thing that will be distracted as a person of Jesus trying to follow God, the main thing that will get distracted, the main thing that will lose your attention is that time, that intimate time communing with your Father in heaven. Here's some more questions. Does prayer work? Pastor Caleb's up here saying, let's return to prayer. Let's renovate our prayer lives. But does prayer even work? Have you ever thought of that? Look, when I pray, does everything get answered? No. Does everything I ask, do I receive? Even though Jesus said, ask and you will receive? No. So does it work? How, how does prayer work if God knows everything? We read that last week in the Lord's Prayer, didn't we? Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans and babbling and asking for all of these different things because your Father in heaven knows what you need. So why are we praying? If he's the eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent God who knows everything, he knows what I'm going to pray. He knows the answers. He knows what's going to happen in the next one second, in the next one minute, in the next one year. Well, maybe that gives us a bit of a hint that prayer isn't actually about God knowing everything and prayer isn't actually about us reminding God of what he needs to do, maybe prayer has far more significance of, than that. The economy of attention is something that cultural commentators talk a lot about these days. The economy of attention is big, big business. You have to understand that out in our modern day Western society, the greatest thinkers, the most brilliant psychologists, the best marketing and promoting gurus of our generation are getting together with the richest companies, 
your Amazons, Jeff Bezos, and your, 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 your Facebooks with Zuckerberg, and these guys are all getting together, the big money and the smartest minds, to think up how can we gain the attention of the populace? Because your attention means money. Your attention, every moment of every day, people are thinking, how can I gain your attention and monetize that attention. If you're not familiar with that word, monetizing means turning something into dollars. That's what businesses think about. So there's this economy of attention. There's this sphere of society, this economy that works, that gains money, that has big business, that's all about gaining your attention. If you ever watch the, uh, the Netflix documentary, oh, what's it called? It's all about this, and it's just left me for a moment. But it, it, social media is all about gaining the social dilemma. Is that it? The social dilemma. Someone said dilemma down there. The social dilemma. Watch it on Netflix. It's a real eye-opener. Do you know why social media is free and you don't pay to be on Instagram or pay to have Facebook or pay to have all these benefits? Because you're the product. The product is not Facebook that you use because the product that you use that you pay for makes that product the product, makes the thing the product. But you are the product. You are the thing that Facebook, Instagram, Netflix, your favorite shopping online, whatever it is, you are the thing that is being drawn in. You are the thing that is being monetized. Your attention, your time, your looking at this phone is the thing that is being Monetize. Now, I know this is very humbling because when you really dig down and take this to its nth degree, there's some sweaty 23-year-old kid sitting in Southern California on a computer thinking about what news you should be hearing, thinking about what you should be watching next on Netflix, thinking about what you should be seeing in your social media feed. This is where it really starts to get crazy. There's some sweaty 23-year-old kid that's probably never talked to a girl before who plays a lot of games, a lot of video games all through the night, who is in charge of dictating to you the kind of internet that's going to come to your phone through your apps, through your streams, through your social media accounts. He's going to tell you what's important, what news is important, what the next thing to buy is important, what fashion trends are going. This... And what this is connected to, the internet, the world, marketing, sweaty 23-year-old sitting in Silicon Valley editing your news feed, is going to kill our spiritual lives. This is the modern day thing that poisons our soul, that burdens our hearts, that takes away our attention, takes our attention. You have to understand the smartest people in the world want your eyes, they want your ears, and they want your attention. The disciples in Matthew chapter 6, we touched on this last week, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there right now going, man, how do you do this thing of prayer? How do we do it in this distracted, busy, hurrying, pressurized world? The disciples had the same question, how do you pray? Do you know the disciples, if you've read the Gospels, they don't ask Jesus any other question. How do you do miracles? How do you preach? I mean, wouldn't that be a good question? How do you do the parables and how do you do the preaching? They never ask Jesus any other question 
They never asked to be shown any other thing so distinctly as how should you pray? How do you pray? Why would they ask the question, how should you pray? Because they look at how Jesus prays, and then they look at how they're praying with their Jewish prayers, their Jewish style of prayer, their Jewish focus of prayer, and they're going, man, there's a difference here. This guy, Jesus, prays differently. He goes to the desert, he goes up mountains, he cries, he cries out to God. It's different. How should we pray? And this is where Jesus launches into what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. But remember, it's not the prayer to pray, it's a template of how to pray. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer over and over and over. Jesus said, I was actually, you know, ironically listening to a book yesterday about the history of the world, basically. And the writer was talking about Charlemagne, who was a Frankish king in the Middle Ages. And he was the first one that said, in order to educate the peasants, educate the populace of Francia, we're going to teach all the priests and therefore teach all the people how to say the Lord's Prayer. He was the one who called it the Lord's Prayer, and he put it on mass education. He said, we're going to educate everyone how to pray by praying out the Lord's Prayer. And that's where it first entered into our Western society. It's something that we pray regularly, and most people, Christian or not, would know the Lord's Prayer. But what can be lost there is that Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Devote your attention to the Father. That's the first dimension of prayer. If you want to know how to pray, you want to know what to pray, you want to know what to pray around, attention devoted to the Father. This sets up your prayer time. This sets up your prayer life. This will set up, this set up my prayer time this morning. This morning I got up at 6.45, put on my runners. I didn't want to sit on my alfresco today. I felt like I needed a walk. So I went off for a walk in the morning. No one else was on the streets because it was too early. And I just walked along. And this is as far as I got. I didn't pray about anything else. I spent about half an hour just, our Father who's in heaven and loving God. And I thank you for your goodness, Lord God. And I thank you that you're here, Lord God. And I thank you that you're in heaven, but you're not far away. You're right near me. And I spent half an hour just with my Father, devoting my attention to him. And if that is as far as you get in prayer, then you have got a long way. Secondly, Jesus says, pray that his kingdom will come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the second dimension of prayer is opening our hearts and our minds up to the will of God, to be attentive to that will. Not to be distracted by the sports scores that are right there, not to be distracted, but to be attentive to the will of the Father. Not the will of my favorite news feed that I like to catch up on global politics or news from the world or the share market or whatever. No, give your attention, your undivided attention. Your undivided attention. What is your will, God? What are you saying? What does it look like when the will of God is done? And then Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So now, God, we switch from attention to the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And God, we begin to look inwardly. This is the real power of prayer to transform your life. To the introspection of the gaze of God is upon you in your place of prayer. And you sit there under the Father, looking into your heart. And you look deep, deep into your heart. He shows you the selfishness. He shows you 
the unforgiveness. He shows you where are the temptations and he cleans you up and he makes you strong. And he deals with all the trip hazards and all the junk and all the poison and all the rubbish that you've consumed. And he slowly, lovingly, tenderly, as a good father, begins to strip away the things that hurt us, the things that keep us weak, the things that keep us distracted, the things that take away our joy, the things that become our self-protections. He begins to strip them away. But it only happens if we're attentive and we pay attention to the condition of your own heart. This is really, really difficult because we are wildly, wildly self-protected as human beings. We hate to look at the junk in our own lives. We hate to think that we could even have done something wrong, let alone allow God to look into our hearts. So let's take this a bit deeper this morning. Turn to the person next to you. Say, are you paying attention? This is not the sermon to be distracted in. <laughs> First of all, we devote our attention to the Father in prayer. The role of God is not to capture your attention. Prayer is not entertainment. It's very difficult because we're used to everyone, every company, every social media group, every um, online shopping group, everyone's vying for your attention. And we come to prayer and God isn't saying, I'm going to jump in the mix with all of these other groups and people and Insta famous, you know, for people that you want to follow and YouTubers. God's not jumping in there going, I'm going to try and grab your attention. No, prayer is total opposite. We give our attention to God. He doesn't gain our attention. He's not another stream, another feed, another thing to look at over the, all the reviews on so you can spend your money on it. No, God is not there as entertainment. It's something much more. He's there to be worshipped. Every time you sit and you pray and you spend 10 minutes with God, 20 minutes with God, you create some space and say, my Father who is in heaven, you are devoting your attention to God. You are worshipping God by giving him your attention. It is an act of worship. Prayer is built on the fact that God is our Father. That's why prayer must begin with our Father. Because God is the object that we pray to. When you look to the heavens, you look to the Father in heaven. He is the object of your prayer, of your worship, of your affection. He is the idol. Our number one. He is the one in the first commandment where it says, have no other gods before me because he is the God. He is the idol. He is the object of our prayer. Our whole prayer is framed around beholding the Lord. Behold means to gaze upon, to look upon, to sit with God. He's the object of my affection. He is the first love that I return to every morning. I've got to return to my first love for God, my Father in heaven. I examine him. I gaze upon him. That's what it means to behold him. Like you would look at a beautiful piece of art and contemplate that art and what it says and, and what it's speaking and the message. We gaze upon God as we contemplate his glory. Jesus says of God as, as the Father, an interesting statement in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9. Which of you, this is to explain who God is that we pray to. Jesus says, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake. I don't know if your son's asked for a stone lately, a, uh, a snake. I think some versions say egg. 
Verse 11, this is the key bit. If you then, though you are evil, thanks Jesus. <laughs> if you then, dad's out there, mum's out there, although you are evil, thanks, appreciate that. Know how to give good gifts to your children, you evil parents out there. How much will your father in heaven give good, good gifts to those who ask? How many people here have children that are kind of a little bit concerned, a little bit tentative about asking for things? That ever happened to you before? Ah, oh, Dad, I'm just oh, I'm not sure if you're really, you know, I don't know, I just feel a bit weird coming before you. No, it's like, Dad, can I have that? Dad, when are we buying a boat? Dad, can I watch Netflix? Dad, can we get this movie? Oh, oh, can you download it then if we don't have it on Netflix? Oh, Dad, I want these shoes. Oh, Dad, I want to go there. Oh, can we go to a holiday to Queensland, Dad? Is that more your experience? That's more my experience. This is the father that you have in heaven. It's not a father that when you come to him in prayer and give him your attention, he goes, oh, yeah, about time. About time he gave me some attention and, and manipulates us to stay for longer. He's not the dad that we go, father, I really need this. I need a change. I need a grow. I need a breakthrough. I need some help at work. And he goes, oh, whatever, like grow up, get t- you know, toughen up, son. No, he doesn't. He hears our prayers. He hears our requests. We are evil, yet we, want to, we, we find it hard not to buy too much for our kids. How much more does our Father want to give the best to us? Our Father who is in heaven. What does that statement, where does that statement create some problems for you? When we come to God, it brings up all our daddy issues, all the wounds of our dad, our mum, our parents, our family of origin. Prayer is very difficult if you've been hurt by your family, if you've had a bad experience, if you've been sexually abused by a parent, if you've been hit by somebody who should have, a guardian that should have looked after you, if you've experienced authority that's been oppressive and manipulative and hurt you, and then Jesus is saying, come to God and say, our Father, the ultimate authority on the, in the universe. That's going to be difficult for most of us. Because who's had a dream run with authorities? Who had the perfect family where your parents never treated you poorly ever once at all? None of us. Who's had the dream run with bosses that your whole career at work, they've never oppressed you or criticized you or spoken behind your back? And then Jesus says, come to God and call him the ultimate authority, the father of the universe. That's not going to be easy for everyone. But the power of prayer is overcoming those hurts and wounds to find the Father in heaven. If you're hurt by a dad or a father figure or a mum, there is so much value in getting over that hurt in prayer and getting healed of that in prayer to find God as the perfect Father. Our Father who is in heaven. Thank God God is not here on the earth. You're not praying to a God who's stuck in the ways of the world, who's stuck attached to his iPhone, just trying to get away from all of the busyness and the hurry to try and spend some time with you. Thank God that he's the Father in heaven and he's separate from the earth. Thank God that he's not stuck in, hum- in humanity, that he's not stuck in time, but he's eternal and can see all things and know all things. Our Father who is in heaven, yet he's not in heaven as in that place that's really, really distant that you might go to one day when you die if you've been good enough. No, 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 that's not what it means. So Father in heaven means he's separate from us, yet he's right here. 
He's near to us. He's intimate with us. Heaven is all around us. His presence is close. Heaven comes to earth. You know, the Jews believed that their temple was the place where heaven and earth met. In the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and God's presence was, that was the place where heaven touched earth. And every day, God invites you into a similar place, a Holy of Holies. Maybe that Holy of Holies is your alfresco or walking around your neighborhood or going down to the beach or maybe you get to work and you find some quiet place in your office at work. I don't know, but wherever you stop and say, my Father who is in heaven, there heaven is touching earth. There is your personal Holy of Holies where it's just you and God. And you say, hallowed be your name. Is everyone familiar with that word? That's a pretty weird one. I don't get up very often in the morning and my wife gets dressed for the day or she gets dressed for church and I say, hallowed be your outfit today, my love. Hallowed is something sacred. It's something beautiful. It's something special. Maybe this will be an easier thing for you guys to understand out there. The hallowed turf of the MCG. Oh, I get hallowed. Okay, that makes more sense. What is it about the hallowed turf of the MCG? Well, it's a sacred place where the AFL Grand Final had happened for 100 years and nowhere else up until the last couple of years. It's the sacred turf. It's a sacred place. When you sit there and you spend time with God in prayer, you are coming into a sacred place, a holy place, a place that should be honored. It's a place where we take off our sandals like Moses and we tread carefully because we're on holy ground. Prayer isn't something to come into and be like, okay, God, let's get this done. You know, let's get, okay, these are my three things that I really need you to answer me today. And we're all daily bread, daily bread, daily bread. Give me what I need. It's not that kind of place. Love takes time. Relationship requires attention, slowness, carefulness, respect listening, speaking. It's a gentle place. It's a hallowed place. It's a place of honor. If you honor God and respect God and give God his due as the creator of the universe and realize that you come into prayer as, a, as an evil father or mother, as Jesus said, or a fallen person or a fallible human being that makes mistakes all the time, and you get that dynamic right of he's hallowed, He's honored, he's perfect, I'm imperfect, I need him. That dynamic will change your life every day. That's one of the most powerful things that I'm finding in prayer at the moment is that he is God and perfect, I am imperfect, but through prayer, I can be healed. Through prayer, I can lean on his strength even when I am weak. Secondly, so that's attention to God, God the Father. Secondly, we give attention to the will of God. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really, the ultimate purpose of prayer, the core of prayer is this, to know God's perfect will, that we may pray it out aloud, we may speak it out as we pray, what is his will? Don't just think it or meditate on it and stop there. Speak the will of God. You might not even be really sure if you believe it, but that's what it means to walk in faith, to speak out. So as I walked around my neighborhood this morning, you know what I was saying? You know what I felt God saying to me as I was hanging out with my Father in heaven? I felt His will was just, let's do a great service this morning. Let's just, people's hearts are going to change, Lord God. Do I know if hearts are going to change? Do I know if anyone's going to like my sermon or Dan's songs that he chose for worship? I don't know. But in faith, I speak out. Let your will be done. 
Let lives be transformed. Let people worship you like they've never worshipped you before. Let the sermon affect somebody. Let them give them a revelation. Help people return to prayer. I'm praying out not what I would like. I'm praying out his will to be done. He would like to transform your life. He would like to love you and you to feel that love like you never have before. Jesus says in John 18, 36, I think we've got it right there on the screen, my kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus is speaking this to Pilate, the Roman official who's just about to send him to the cross. Pilate's trying to work out, is Jesus really a criminal? He wasn't convinced. Has Jesus done anything wrong? He didn't think he had done anything wrong. He went back to the Jewish leaders and said, this guy's not a criminal, he's done nothing wrong. And he's trying to question Jesus to find out if Jesus will will say something, that he can set him free, that he can let him go, because Pilate's not convinced. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus isn't interested in getting out of jail. Jesus isn't interested in getting free, not going to the cross. Jesus says to him, look, you don't understand what's going on, Pilate, essentially. Reading between the lines. You don't understand what's going on because this is not an earthly kingdom. If I was here in chains, my followers, my disciples, they would be taking up arms right now. They would be getting their swords ready to fight and set me, their leader, free. But this is a totally different kind of kingdom. This is a totally different kind of thing that I'm bringing down here to earth. The kingdom of God is not something that we fight. We don't fight for Christianity in the streets. We don't need to fight for Christianity in the public square. We don't need to take up arms. We don't need to get nasty. We don't need to protect God. Trust me, he doesn't need our protection. It's a kingdom of another world. And when we enter into prayer and we cry out, your will be done, and we cry out, your kingdom come, his kingdom, is everyone ready for this? His kingdom is gonna come in a way that you don't expect. What do we expect? The followers to take up arms and set Jesus free. No, my kingdom is not of this world. Remember, whenever you pray, God is going to answer your prayers in a way that is totally unexpected. Whatever you think God would do, you can be guaranteed he won't do it that way because his kingdom is not of this world. And we are of this world. It's difficult for us to understand. Your kingdom come. Pray it in faith. Don't pray it in expectation of what you think God should do, what his kingdom should look like. If you're unsure of what you're praying when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done, look at the many, many different references to the kingdom. Jesus talks about the kingdom in the gospels 12, 13, 14 times. Kingdom is like leaven. The kingdom is like a man who has two coats and he gives one of those coats away. The kingdom is this, that those who are in it are blessed because they mourn. They're blessed, the people in these kingdoms, because they get persecuted. They're blessed, the people in this kingdom, because they're humble and they give away their money. They give away their resources. The kingdom is the, the kind of people that understand that there's something coming from a different place. There's a spiritual dimension. There's an otherworldly dimension. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What did Jesus call the will of God? He called it his bread. In John 4, 34, just after his interaction with the woman of the, at the well and his disciples are saying, hey, are you hungry, Jesus? We've got some bread. We went and organized lunch. You know, do you want a wrap? Do you want a Turkish baguette? You know, like, what, what do you want, Jesus? He's like, let me tell you about bread. My bread is to do the will of God. 
Imagine all the disciples are like, oh, I can't one of these again. What do you mean your bread is to do the will of God? I'm just going to eat my bagel over here in the corner. Now we get it. His sustenance, what he lived off, what fueled Jesus Christ while he was here on the earth as a human being, just like you and I, sweating, having emotions, going through the day to day. Jesus was here as a human being and he said, my fuel is not just bread, not just human food. My fuel is the will of God. That's what runs my life. The only place you get that fuel is in the place of prayer. When you said, my father, you sat down, you've connected with him. You've honored him. You realize you're on hallowed turf, holy ground, and you begin to listen to his will. You begin to see his kingdom coming. You begin to pray. You begin to talk to him. And then all of a sudden, it begins to make sense. Man, this is fueling my heart. If your soul, if your heart, if your spirit is fueled by the will of God every day, if that is what you consume, guess what's going to happen with all of your other consumption? Your apps your Netflix, your gaming. Guess what's going to happen? You're not going to want to consume those things so much anymore. The need to consume entertainment, consume buying stuff online, consume gaming all night, saying, hey, just, just another round, just another round of Warcraft or God of War, or we can't finish on that. We're going to keep going, keep going into the night, into the night. That won't need to fuel you so much anymore. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. I have no problems with all of these things. But I'm saying these things that we consume of this world that distract us from consuming the will and the word of God, that's where the problem is. I don't care if you have all the apps in the world. I don't care if you're on social media 10 hours a day. If you have a healthy, deep prayer life and relationship with God, then go for your life. But I'm telling you, if you're a normal human being like me, the distractions that come through the internet and what I can do with my phone or my computer or my TV, they are the things that are taking my time away from God. Finally, we come to prayer and we are attentive to your, my heart's condition. This is the difficult one, everyone, and we're going to take communion around this this morning, to be attentive to my heart's condition. Finally, prayer addresses the state of our inner life. Everyone just look down at your heart for a moment. It's difficult. We don't look, like to look down here to, to the introspection, to weigh up our ways, our wicked ways, to look at that. Sometimes even the way that I'm talking right now might, might, might feel repugnant to you to hear like there's wickedness in there, there's junk in there. Yeah, there is if you're willing to look, if you're willing to be honest. If you're willing to really come before God in prayer and he's going to look down upon you in that place of prayer, you're going to pretty quickly see that. Why? Because he's holy and that which is not holy gets exposed fast. But he's a good father. He's not a bad father. He's not there. <laughs> you confess that sin, Caleb. I heard that. You didn't say it out loud. You thought that maybe there was a sin and I heard that. He's not like that at all. It's God's loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Finally, prayer addresses the state of our inner life, the condition of our secret motives and thoughts. And what happens is prayer is not, is not an abrupt thing. It's not a dramatic thing. No, it's a slow progress, a slow cleaning 
of the heart, a slow cleaning of the contamination over days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months as we spend time with Jesus. Slowly, our will begins to align with His will. Slowly, we get cleaned up so that we can actually hear Him properly. We don't hear because there's too much junk. We don't know God. We're limited in our understanding because there's too much other stuff going on. But slowly, we are formed. We are shaped by the hands of God. Who else would you rather form, shape your priorities, your calendar, your budget? Who else would you rather than your Father in heaven, the God of all the universe, the perfect Father who knows all things, as opposed to being consumed by the 23-year-old kid sitting in Silicon Valley pushing to you your latest thing you should buy or the top you should get or the thing you should have for your kids that all the other parents have. Who would you rather form and shape your priorities, your thinking, your processes? And then we pray, God, give us our daily bread. What are the disciples thinking when Jesus says, pray like this, give us our daily bread? They're thinking of the manna in the desert of their forefathers that fell from heaven. Every day, for 40 years. Can you get your head around, from that, around that for a second? For 40 years, for four decades, bread, essentially, fell from heaven. Well, they didn't know what it was because manna is a Hebrew word meaning what is it. Literally, that's what it means. Look up the Hebrew word manna. It means what is it. They didn't know what it was, but it was some kind of bread. Thank you, Renee. And it fell from heaven every day. So that's what they're thinking. They're thinking daily, and they're thinking provision, divine provision. God wants to feed you every day with his divine provision, but God is not going to give you an oversupply. See, we want stuff. And this world tells us, get more money, get more stuff, get more power, get more position. God wants to give you your daily bread and look after you, peace, prosperity. He wants to supply your every need, but he's not into oversupply. Again, it's our world that we live in that tells us you need more, you need more, you need more. Guess what? Billionaires millionaires, the richest, the famous, they still need another shirt. They still want a bigger TV. They still want the next thing. They're still looking for the next house to move into. Don't think that just because you live in a humble apartment or you haven't bought your first home yet, that you're different. Even the richest people in the world are still have an unquenchable desire for more stuff. God is not into that. So he will supply your every need, but he's not going to oversupply you. He wants your motives to be clean. Give us this day our daily bread, provision, protection, peace. And this is the kicker. You may need to hold the communion in your hand for this because this is going to be difficult to hear. Then Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, past tense. Not forgive me, God, my debts, my stuff-ups, my sin. And now because I'm clean, Maybe I can forgive someone else. No, 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 no. Forgive us our debts as we have. We've already forgiven those that have sinned against us. Forgiveness is a communal process. Forgiveness involves God, you, and them. And them, and them, and them. In our modern Christianity, we've bought into the fact that I am forgiven, I am saved, Jesus died on the cross for me, I go to heaven. Let me read the scripture for you again. You might have missed it. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts 
lead us not into temptation. Okay, we got another one. Is there a fourth one in there? Deliver us from the evil one. See, we put our modern Western grid over these things and we think it's I. But the scripture itself from 2,000 years ago says this is communal. Daily bread is communal. Forgiving our debts is communal. Forgiving their debts is about community. Leading into temptation and getting delivered is about all of us working together. Just to make the point really clear, a few verses down in verse 14, Jesus clarifies the whole forgiveness thing in prayer. Let me just clarify it for you guys for a minute. When you're praying, you need to forgive other people. He says this, hold that communion real tight, everyone. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, so let's get really specific, your heavenly father, which is where we started our prayer, our father, did we start our prayer with my father? My father? No, we started our prayer with our father. It was communal from word one. It's very difficult to have a healthy prayer life if you don't care about others, if you don't want to get things right with others, if you don't want to lay down your life for others. It's going to be very difficult to pray or your prayer is going to be very narrow because it's all built on our. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not, let me be crystal, crystal clear, says Jesus, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father in heaven will not forgive your sins. <laughs> oh, I need Jesus. Jesus. I know we don't like to read these scriptures, everyone. I know these are the ones we pass over and we say, oh, I don't really get what that meant, that scripture. It means what it says. There's no metaphors here. There's no read between the lines here. There's no Greek or Hebrew here. If you're not willing to forgive, God's hand is held back to forgive you. Does anyone here need forgiveness? Man, I do every single day. I need help. I need help. I'm not going to get that help if I will not let go of my hurts, my pains, people that have wronged me, the injustices, all the unfair things. This is why you need a prayer life, because this stuff doesn't happen quick. You need some space in your day to sit down and get through these things day by day by day. If you haven't prayed for a while, or if you haven't prayed well for a while, you could have a year, two years, six months, a week, I don't know, of pent up debts that you have and debts that others have. I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. I'm not oversimplifying here. And I'm not by any means saying that sometimes you need to forgive people who have done grand injustices to you, but that does not mean that you have to hang out with them. And that does not mean the friendship or the relationship goes back to how it was. That's not what we're talking about here. Forgiveness is not about return to how it was. Because if you were abused as a child... Or someone ripped you off for a million dollars that was owed yours in an inheritance or a business deal or something. Forgiveness doesn't mean, yeah, we're mates again. Because you're never going to be mates again. And you never need to go and see. Some people aren't even safe to go back around. People have done wrong to you. It's not even safe to hang around with them. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, forgive them in your heart. Let the hurts and pains go. You don't need to be their best friend. Let go of your story. That's the big unforgiveness problem. We turn our unforgiveness into a story of how I was uniquely hard done by, by that person and that pastor and that boss 
and that friend, and we make it our big story with all the evidence. What do we do with the story? We build evidence, and then, yeah, but they said this, and then that happened, and then this person could have helped, but they didn't help, and we have this huge story of how we've been wronged. Jesus is essentially saying, let your story go, your injustice go. Why? Because he doesn't want you to trip over the, the trip hazards. They're everywhere. If you want to trip over them, you can. Bitterness, disappointment, injustice, being treated unfairly. They're all there. You can trip over all the trip hazards and fall into all the wells that you want to and trip over and break your ankle a hundred times. Everyone's going to hurt you. Jesus knows that. God knows that. So he says, you've got to forgive. You've got to get into a place of prayer and forgive. Because your life is not about your life. Your life is about their life. And their life is about your life. And their life and your life is about his life. Forgiveness is communal. It's to do with our father. It's to do with me. And it's to do with you. It's to do with you. It's to do with me. It's to do with him. Our father who is in heaven. Now that we've nailed all of this down, I hope you feel less inclined to allow the distractions of this world to take you away. You have the greatest father in all the universe, a perfect father. You have the right to go into the Holy of Holies and hear God's will, to know his good, pleasing and perfect will that is going to bring you life or life to the full. That's the place of prayer. You can deal with all the icky stuff, all the uncomfortable stuff, all the unforgiveness stuff, the things you need, the daily bread, the forgive us our debts, even temptation. Who's tempted? Me all the time, you all the time. Tempted to eat too much chocolate. I'm tempted to watch porn. I'm tempted to look at that thing that's not right. I'm tempted to spend my money on futile things. I'm tempted to hold a grudge or to gossip about someone constantly, but lead us not into temptation. You've got God there wanting to help you and deliver you personal deliverance every day from that temptation. But we're distracted. Gaming all night, screens during the day, Netflix show that I've got to watch. Next thing I've got to purchase. Next thing I've got to read up. Politics, shares, whatever I need to keep up with. It's all coming through the internet. It's all coming through our screens. Maybe for some of us, we need to do something dramatic. You know, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Most of you here have a right hand from what I can see. So he didn't mean literally cut it off, thank goodness. <laughs> You're in the right religion. He, he just meant sometimes you've got to take extreme action. Sometimes you've got to do something. Sometimes you've got to say, right, I need to change something in my life. I need to get rid of my TV. I need to shut off my social media accounts, which a lot of people have been do doing lately. I need to, I don't know, get, get rid of my uh, Amazon account. I'm not sure. There's all these accounts all over the place. You need to do something extreme. You need to think about your prayer life and go, I'm going to do something great for God. I want to have a good relationship with my Father in heaven. Is this a worthy distraction? Who thought I just did that to my own phone? Is this the poison that I want for my kids? Do I want to introduce my kids to a world of consuming? Your children will not do what you say. I said this last week. They will do what you do. 
don't think you can have your little online shopping and have all your social media stuff and stay up late watching your Netflix and, and then not really fit in prayer and then not really fit in some Bible study and then not really fit in some time with God and then think you're going to follow Jesus without a prayer life and then think that your children will grow up and do what you said. Hey, you got to pray. Hey, you should read your Bible. What's the first thing that your children are going to ask you when you get home today? Can we play Nintendo? Can we watch that show? Can I have your phone, mum? Can I have your phone, dad? Can we buy this? Can we buy that? I'm not big on being extreme. I know it's difficult. You've got responsibilities. You've got stuff to do. You're in a rush. I know all of that. But I just want to make a little point this morning that's a little bit extreme. That everything in this world is trying to distract you from having a meaningful, deep, loving relationship with your Father in heaven. And sadly, we live in a world where right in our pockets, we have a world of distraction. I find it hard, you find it hard, we all find it difficult. But God has so much more for you. I'll stop hitting it, all right? probably don't need to get rid of your phone but maybe some of you do what would it be like to fast your phone for a week you're not going to die maybe some of us need a disruption in our life of consuming things and having stuff in order to like a chiropractor to crack us back into a healthy spiritual life I don't know but I know for one thing I don't want to be and I don't want our church to be a place where we encourage people to live a worldly life and then try and fit some God in. No, 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 no. I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. I want us to be the people of God that want all of God and then we fit some other life stuff in. We're following Jesus with all of our hearts. But then we go out into our workplaces and our different places and we do great things. That Christ is at the center. That we live from God right at the center. That we behold the Father every day that we gaze upon His beauty, that we walk upon the hallowed turf of our prayer time. Just close your eyes this morning. That we behold Him in all of His glory. Just look to Him this morning as you hold your communion in your hands. Behold the Father, gaze upon Him like, a, like greater than the most beautiful art in all the world. Gaze upon Him, contemplate Him, admire Him, Examine Him. Look into the face of the Father and examine Him. Let Him gaze back upon you, that you behold Him and He beholds you. Hold Him in your attention this morning. Straight away, you'll find it difficult because there's distraction of thoughts, the distraction of to-dos, the distraction of Pastor Caleb hitting an iPhone with a hammer. They all start flooding in. Look at Him undivided attention like when you ask a child to listen hey look at me why because you want to be heard you want them to comprehend this is the father crying out to us today right here this morning saying hey listen hey look at dad listen let me speak life into your bones let me speak meaning into your heart let me speak direction into your will, straight from my will. 
behold you this morning, Lord God. Just honor you this morning, Lord God. Just before we take communion today, keep your eyes closed if you want. I just want you to take out your phone and just put it on the ground. Put it on the chair next to you. trying to exaggerate here or be silly I just 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 as a sign just as a little little action I know your poor old little phone that you just bought last week that you love and got that special cover I know it's not it's its fault okay don't get personal about your phone a special little picture of your daughter on it or whatever just showing us that there's things that are at us. It's just reminding us. Again, I don't want to over-spiritualize, but the devil walks around like a prowling lion, the Bible tells us. I think it's in 1 Peter. Like a prowling lion looking to devour. I don't want to get spooky or over-spiritualize this, but maybe, maybe the devouring of the enemy comes to us through what we consume through what we allow to hold our attention through what we give our attention to in this great economy of attention we live in a world that's drowning in entertainment saturated in expressive individualism and the right to have my own to receive my own, to do my own. But God is crying out this morning, just as we take our communion, come to me, come to me, your Father in heaven. Lord, we just take this bread, we take this blood this morning, beholding you, gazing upon you. If there's only one thing that you learn from today's message, I hope it's this, that prayer is just sitting down saying, my Father, our Father. At least start there. If you're looking for a place to start to enter into prayer or maybe to reform your prayer life, just start with that. The only reason you can say our Father is because Jesus died and shed his blood. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is why we take communion to remember that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the access code. Jesus is the way to the Father. Just take the bread take the blood, the juice this morning. Lord God, we behold you, we observe you, we examine you, we look to you, our Father who is in heaven. Lord, that we could carve out 10 minutes every day if we're beginning just to sit and say our Father who is in heaven, to listen to you, to look upon you, to walk upon that hallowed turf of our prayer life. We thank you for your will. It's just there in heaven waiting to come to earth. We thank you for your kingdom that heals, that restores, that transforms, just waiting to come to earth again and again and again. And we thank you even for the hard stuff, the forgiving us our debts, us forgiving others' debts, the temptation, the deliverance. We thank you, Lord God, that you care about the condition of our heart. No one else in this world cares so much about our inner life and the formation of our inner life than you do. 
give our heart and our whole life this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want you to practice that this week. It's my challenge to you. Practice beholding God as we did just then. You've already done Sunday, tick. Just to behold the Lord. Just to behold Him. And if you look in the newsletter this week, you'll see that there's a go deeper option as well. And the go deeper option is just a, a deeper understanding of what it means to behold God and that practice of prayer. It's actually a way of praying. It's actually a way of praying. I really encourage you to do that. And the second thing, I'm giving you two this week. What is a distraction that you could deal with by Wednesday? There's a due date. Give you a few days. What's something you need to get rid of? Shut off your social media account. Stop shopping online. I don't know. Chuck your phone away for a week. Fast something. What's something that you... I know no one's sitting there going, oh, that thing I do instead of praying. I know it's not that direct. But it's the distractions that bite away at the edges of your life that ultimately cost you attention with God. And that's what I'm encouraging you to deal with this week. Brad's just going to close us off and I'll take my unsmashed iPhone with me. And uh, we've got some uh, space here to hang out and chat at the end. Again, if you'd like to fill out a Connect card, if anyone would like prayer, we've got a group at the front here, so please come forwards. We'd love to pray with you and for you, uh, and we'd love to connect further. If you'd like to see Sarah and the girls at the desk back there, you can join a team, you can fill out a Connect card and, and connect in with us more in any way. So thank you guys. Have an awesome week, and see you next week.